This is episode 18 of Caucasus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus mountains of Russia. I'm Andrew. I'm Eli. And welcome. Welcome to episode 18. And listeners, we're just talking to you today. It's just us. Just me and you and you. So grab a cup of coffee and <laughs> curl up on your couch. I don't know who I was just then. Or while you're driving, either or, way. Yeah, more likely. <laughs> no, we, we've got listeners who listen to us while they bike, while they run, hike. That's... A lot. Love it. That means a lot never to bring us out that. into the wilderness. Yeah. Very cool. Well, listeners, we, uh, we like every 10 episodes-ish or so to uh, just... Uh, kind of regroup and let you know how things are going. Um, celebrate victories. That's right. No matter how small they are. No matter how small. So the the status. It's a state of the podcast yeah. address. That's yeah. what we should call it. State of the podcast. I love it. Because, but more. It's much more than that. So yes. I don't know. We are at. Man, we are over three thousand unique downloads. Love it. That is really cool. Um, to me. So break it down. F- for not just our listeners, for me. So this is our 18th episode. We've had 3,000 downloads. Do we know like how many subscribers we have or on average how many people are listening per episode? No, that's one of the unique things about uh, podcasting. You can't actually track subscribers per se. Um, that's just the way it's structured. Okay. But um, it does average out to about 166 and two-thirds listeners or downloads per episode. And they they all vary a cool. little bit, but that's about it. So we could say for unique downloads, that would mean about that many yeah, yeah. people or devices. I yeah. had I had a proud moment this week. Uh, my, my wife and I, uh, we had one of my former English students over for chai for lunch or for tea. <laughs> and and uh, when they were leaving, uh, I handed them a card, wow. my podcast card, and I said, hey, have you listened to this yet? You'd be really interesting to you. We talk about the Caucasus in English. And they said, oh, I'm already subscribed. Boom! And I was like, really? It what? like made my heart swell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what I want, Andrew? I want someone to hand me a flyer. Be like, hey, you should listen to this. Really These guys like are this. good. <laughs> Except for that one guy. I am those guys. <clears throat> so where are our listeners from these days? We've We've been growing. Yeah. So it's it's really fascinating. We can actually see every country. We we can actually track like which it's in America the states where the listens are. I was looking in the UK, which like I don't know they're called boroughs or <laughs> I probably just totally butchered that. Sorry, Maddie, uh, <sighs> our uh, British friend. But uh, yeah, um, so the last so of course United States that's where we're from a lot of our friends listen that's where we have our most listens we have a lot of listens from Russia which is really awesome a lot of our local friends here in the Caucasus are listening Um, coming in in third place is Japan that's amazing because I I don't know anybody there we still don't know who the Japanese listeners are do you have any friends there? I don't have I no I have no friends in Japan yeah sorry if you are my friend in Japan I've forgotten (laughs) Listen, if you are a Japanese listener or somebody living in Japan that's right. not Japanese, yeah. we would love to know who you are, how you found us. Um, that's really cool. Over 100 downloads from Japan. So after that, we've got the UK still ranking over 100, and then it breaks down. Breaks down from there. I do have some a couple of cool things. So Japan's number three, which is really awesome. 
the last time we talked uh, we talked about our statistics we I made a shout out to or a plea better better to put it a plea <laughs> desperate plea to anybody from South America or Africa because we didn't have listens from those two continents right we have and now you're telling me we have people from Colombia, South Africa, and Egypt who have listened. Woo! Yeah. So Man. We have every continent covered except Columbia. for except Antarctica. We have every continent covered. Who's listening from Colombia? Yeah. How many downloads from Colombia? It's a lot less, but there still are some downloads. Man. Um, yes, they're really cool. Um, a couple other country mentions. Um, we just released this episode, our... Last episode we released our interview with Takir, our trailblazing right. uh, mountain guide friend. And he was talking about uh, different nationalities he's led to the peak. And he said his favorite are Scandinavians because right. they're like he machines. They do what you say and they just always move. And you know what? So we're filming this uh, during the Winter Olympics. Recording. Yeah. I always say filming. <laughs> we're recording. There are no videos uh, live streaming right now. But- Norway is crushing everybody in the medal count right now. No kidding. As as we speak, so we're recording this not long before we release it. Norway has 28 medals. Dang. Uh and I think Germany is in second and Canada's in third, but it's and then like it's just not even close. And it is interesting how the other Scandinavian countries that Duck here mentioned, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, and Iceland, their medal count is less total than Norway's. Whoa. Yeah. So what is it about Norway and Winter Olympic sports? Well, I would have to say as a loyal, um, patriotic Norwegian who's not Norwegian and never <laughs> lived there, I think it's just that they put their babies in their carriages outside in the sub-zero temperature from a small age in order to give them a little air every day. That, that, it starts it from the, the beginning. B- I have a friend who is traveling in Norway. She's this little... She's, tiny and short and she was out and it was just like in a bus going from here to there and out the window it was just outside the window it was just a horizontal line it was yeah. like white and black you know the night sky and, and I don't know where she was going but they were in the middle of nowhere and like the bus stops all of a sudden and a bunch of like yeah Norwegians like leap up <laughs> and they grab their skis yeah. and they like jump out the bus slap their skis on and just go wow. off into the dark and she just looks at them as the bus falls and like what is that? Did I what miss my happened? stop? Was I supposed to do that? No, that's why. Because <laughs> they that go awesome. cross-country skiing in the middle of the night. Very um, cool. As for the U.S., as for the states, you know, Washington has been at the top of the heap, and they are really pulling away. I mean, they they almost Washington triple state. The, the next state in downloads. So Washington State's getting the shout-out. Then we got Arizona, Virginia, and Georgia. We should... All you Washington listeners out there, you guys should think about coming. Like, let's organize a Washington group to come out here to the Caucasus. Andrew, I like that idea. We're, we will figure out a way to make it more official, but I'm putting it out there right now for our Washington listeners. Okay. So he's wetting, wetting your whistle. Yeah. Like um, and then, of course, I want to reference Andorra. We were kind of knocking on Andorra, uh, the country in Europe. You, Andorra. Uh, Dakir was saying it's one of the only countries from Europe he hasn't taking climbers to that top at El Bruce. And then I saw an Andorran ski jumper compete. And I was like, you go Andor. That's awesome. (laughs) 
You go, Andorra. Yeah. Props I was, to Andorra. Shout I was like, out to I, I should not have been knocking on that country. They have winter Olympians. I don't think it was a knock. I think it was, I think we were celebrating Andorra. Yeah. And they have to know they're the, you know, the smallest country. I don't know if they're the smallest, Luxembourg or whatever, but they're pretty small and they're snuggled they in there. We're going to meet some Andorrans. Snuggled all in there. And be proud to have met them. Yeah. So we're taking out this episode just with you guys on the couch, cup of joe. No, we want to um, let you guys know, listeners, what we have uh, coming a little bit in the in the pipeline. Some new some new innovations. Lots, lots which of is new redundant. innovations. Innovations. Andrew, what have you got? Lots man? of brand new innovations. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, if any of you are like us, you might be getting a little tired of our news minutes, as uh, fascinating as they are. So we're we're trying to uh, branch out our kind of segments at the end of our episodes right? beyond the news minutes. We've hit on a couple of tourism tidbits, but it's really that we kind of hit on that last summer, yeah. 2017. And so we want to get the tourism tidbits going again. Um, for all those of you who are languishing, you know, just waiting for more of those tidbits, morsels. And we have two other segments we're going to start regularly doing that we're going to introduce right now. Right now. So Eli, why don't you go ahead and lead all us right, off? So- we realize that, you know, we are living here in the North Caucasus, talking about the North Caucasus, and really the focus is on the North Caucasus itself, you know, and we're trying, obviously, we share about our experiences, Andrew shares a lot of his stories, and um, but Too we many. think that we have um, something really valuable to offer our listeners in sharing about our own personal process and experience of living cross-culturally. Yeah. So not so much the stories in and of themselves, though those will keep coming because they keep happening, but what is it really like as an American or as a, an outsider, foreigner, uh, living in a new place? And that's something that we are both uh, have lots to share about because yeah. every day we encounter things that push us out of our comfort zone or um, reveal new insights to us or, or tax us in different ways. So we want to start an occasional segment called Culture Shock. Culture then, Shock Corner. I really want sound effects for each of these. You know, we did the bell. Where's the bell? We got, the, where's the bell? It's at home on top of my fridge because we use it to call. I was wanting to ring that. I was wanting to interrupt you with that today. Bing, bing. We need the bell, but we need a different sound effect. Yes. So I want to say a word about what Culture Shock is and what, what it will mean to share about it. And because as you know, our priority is to share positive insights yes. and aspects about the, the caucuses. Yes. So Culture Shock. I'm just going to give a little three-minute thing on this. Okay. All right. Teach us. <clears throat> Andrew, have you ever heard of something called the U-curve? I've heard of it, but I couldn't tell you what it is. All right. The U-curve of cultural adjustment. Uh, I want to just paint this picture for you real quick because this will help frame what it what culture. So imagine <laughs> the letter U. You've got a horizontal X-axis and a vertical Y-axis. Along the X-axis, you've got time. Okay. And time is passing the from bottom. the left yeah. to the right across yeah, yeah. across your radio dial. <laughs> and then on the vertical axis, the y-axis, you've got sense of normalcy. Okay. So sort so, of in the middle of the y-axis, we're going to draw a, a, a line across. And this is normal. Okay. Positive value, whatever. I should be filming you right now so everybody can see your hand motions. <laughs> you can see me painting it <laughs> in the air. I have so much material I could post on this. It's not even funny. The point is, when you grow, go cross-culturally, as you move through time, you start on the left-hand side of your U. Yeah. And you're at a high. 
You're actually above normal. When you enter a new culture, it tends to be exciting. You're looking uh, forward to it. Okay. And over time, generally over the period of probably two years, you go through this process huh. of a rapid decline yeah. in a sense of well-being or normalcy down this slope. It may not be vertical like a U. It may be yeah. more of a parabolic thing. Till roughly, as the, you know, theoretically, more or less, you know, a year into it, if you've been living... Uh, immersion in a culture, you're mm-hmm. at a low. You're way below your normal. This is the bottom of the U. So when you say you go from the top to the bottom, you mean when you start, you're at the top. Everything's new. It's exciting. You love it. It's called the honeymoon. Yes. And then by the time you get to the bottom, you're it's kind been a year. Of, you're over it. You're Every, way over Everything it. frustrates you and annoys you. Exactly. Okay. Because when you visit a place for a week or a month, it's so exciting. Yeah. And it's you're not there long enough for the things that are interesting for them to flip around and become antagonizing. Yeah. Because interesting is just another way of saying different. Right. And as Andrew said earlier, change is bad. He said that before the program. <laughs> we're talking about what we're going to change. He said, no, it's okay. Great. No context. No context. Perfect. Just throw, throw, <laughs> throw it out there. No, Andrew doesn't believe that. Um. However, as you continue in a different, and if you leave at that nadir, at that mm. low point, that's the worst time you can leave because hmm. you're going to walk away with that place is just backward right. and so on and so forth. If you persevere and if you carry through, you will rise up. You have the potential to rise up the other side of the U. Yeah. And actually that ending side of the U is back at, at the same height kind of theoretically as the starting point, meaning it's above what was your normal because when you come through that adjustment, you actually come out a, a better adjusted bi or multicultural person who's hmm. able to kind of handle, in a sense, more, right. more things and more differences. Yeah. yeah. But that's a real process. And it's a process that I think we, my wife and I, my family, were definitely in the midst of still. Okay. I would say from viewing you and some other foreigners here who've been here longer, come through it. Yeah. You know, you've got the language and... But what it requires is a determination to, to adjust. Right. Because you can go down the U and just stay at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. And be an embittered person who doesn't like where they live. Mm. That's called the L curve of maladjustment. <laughs> wow, that's the actual... <laughs> that's my name for it. Wow, okay. But I figure I have a master's. I can name things like uh, yeah. that. Yeah. We'll copyright that. I should publish it. <laughs> the L curve. Actually, when I've told people, I call it the loser curve. L for loser, if you don't adjust. So why do I say all that? Because we really want to share and cross-cultural living is a microcosm for life. Everything that you experience cross-culturally has an analog in the rest of your life. You can use it. You can can harvest those uh, lessons to apply to every relationship, every job opportunity or situation. And it really is a, a, a... encapsulates, Mm. I think, all of life. So I think it'll be really valuable and interesting for our our listeners to hear not just exciting things about the North Caucasus, but what uh, some of our personal process. Yeah, that's great. So why the the lesson lesson in theory and me waving my hands around? Because a lot of the experiences are bad or hard or difficult or antagonizing or frustrating. Yeah. But as we share them, you're going to hear that the reason for those things is not because the things themselves are necessarily bad. Yeah. Well, it's not, we, what we don't want to say is, oh, I had this bad experience or this was hard. I want to share it with you because I would just want you to know how bad the culture is. Because mm. we also want to share the flip side 
of yeah. of stories of coming up the the other side of cultural adjustment, things that, that you acquire and learn. So yeah, that's great. But I, but we're going to share both because there are things that are really annoying, but we're we're learning to understand them from the and, inside. Yeah. I ra- think rather than just judge them. That's really good. And most people have who are listening have probably done had some overseas experience, and so they can relate in some way or another. And even if you haven't, I just really want to say if you have ever gotten married or started a new job, I mean, you've gone through adjustment a curve periods. of adjustment. I, I can think of with just certain jobs, totally. how, hard, how hard it was. Adjusting. And you're getting into it, yeah. a new culture, a new yep. whatever, you know, my, my yep. wife and I were like year two in our marriage. Like, I think we're in the U curve. <laughs> we're like looking at this. Like, the L curve of maladjustment. I know. No, it was not the L You came curve. up. You completed the year. That's the U curve of unbelievable. That's so, awesome. <laughs> so we'll save some of those tidbits for later, but that's what's coming with culture shock. Cool. Yeah, man. Man. What you got, Andrew? You really... I, I could just keep going with that. I could keep going with that. Can you tell? I'm excited that I'm actually looking forward to that. Cause I definitely have lots of experiences I can share. Subtext. Um, Eli pitched this idea and so far I haven't really been looking forward to it. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to be curled up on a couch crying somewhere, suck, <laughs> sucking my thumb, re- rehashing some of these experiences. <laughs> I have reacting. Um, good stuff. So our culture shock corner. All right, man. Uh, oh, wait, then, you just made it a corner. Can I make no, no corner. Do we already have a corner? Uh, uh-uh. We got a tourism tidbit, news minute. Culture shock corner. Come on. Maybe it should be the culture shock couch. Culture shock couch. <laughs> yeah, it is more like a counseling session. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see which one, which one, when we actually lay, bring it out. With Dr. Eli. Doctor. <laughs> That's all we need. This has turned into an advice column. All right. Moving right along. What have you got, man? You've got a, you've got a segment for us. Yeah. So uh, this was just something I started noticing recently and I got really excited and I did a ton of research. Andrew and loves doing tons of research. It's actually a thing we can like talk about. I'm really excited. So uh, listeners, in Russia, every street name means something. Most of, most of the street names have some kind of historical uh, reference or meaning. And often they're named after people or events. So we're not talking like Elm Street... 42nd street. That's right. They all got, you're right. Almost everyone has yeah. some significant meaning in the last 120 years. Let's say in Russia, there's been three significant, uh, kind of historical periods in the eight 19th century. And then early 20th century, there was the, the imperialist Russia. There was a czar, uh, the Bolshevik times, you could call it. Uh, then in 1917, the Russian revolution happened. And that's when, uh, the communist party came into power. That's when Lenin brought that revolution. And that's when the Soviet union started. So that was 70 years. And then in, uh, night in the early nineties, the Soviet union fell and we're kind of in this new phase of Russian history, mm-hmm. uh, more of a democratic phase. And so every period of history is very unique. And what's happened this is one of those things you can't really learn unless you've lived in Russia is that city names have changed with each as history has changed in Russia, governments have changed. City names have changed. There were city one city name during imperialist times. For example, so like for example, uh, Saint Petersburg, big big one. This right. is a good one. Saint Petersburg, many years ago, was called Petrograd. Petrograd after Petra. Peter the band. Peter the Tsar. Yeah, I don't know if it, I don't know specifically which one. I think there was Peter the first and the second, but. That was in the imperialist days. In the 
and actually certain parts of the Soviet years, it was called Petrograd. Then the name was changed to Leningrad. Leningrad. And now it's called St. Petersburg. I remember my dad in the 80s referring to Leningrad. Yeah. And St. Petersburg was the name way, way, way back in the day. Oh. It has more of a like French, uh, French and German influence. Uh-huh. And so there are still many older Russians and people in the Caucasus who refer to St. Petersburg as Leningrad because when they were kids and younger, sure. that's what it was called. Sure. Um, so there are lots of streets like that too. There was a imperialist name pre-Soviet Union. Then during the Soviet Union, it took on a different name. Right. Post-Soviet Union or even during the Soviet Union, it changed names again. So uh, that's kind of the context. And what I, basically what I started no- noticing was there are street names are, that clearly are connected to the Caucasus. Like the names are Caucasus names. The names have the names have Caucasus names, and it's hard to explain. But you can tell, like, if a name is a Georgian name, the country Georgia, uh, or often a father's name. Every person in Russia takes on it's called the patriotic name, and they'll take their father's name, and you can tell if it is a name with like a Christian root or with a Muslim root uh-huh, uh, right. based on the father's name. Um, so I started noticing that I was like, I wonder if there are lots of names all over Russia that have roots from a person in the Caucasus or an event in the Caucasus. So this is how Andrew thinks he's and, looking at street names here. This is the insight into the inner workings. Yes. And the answer is yes, there are lots of famous either streets or because of that famous person, right? Streets were named after them, monuments, parks. libraries, museums, right. parks. Keep listening, listeners, because I'm with you. At this point, I was like, okay, street names. Okay. But this, so anyways, is, this is actually very cool. This is our new, well, this is one of our new segments. It's called What's in a Street Name? What's in a Street Name? Yeah. And uh, I'm going to just talk about one person today. His name is Kostya Hetagorova. So wait. Just to flesh this out. Yeah. So you're, you're taking the street names yeah. as a launching off point to find out about Caucasus who, personality. Who was this named after? Yeah. And why are that they we famous? don't know about. Yeah. So there's what a street. Do, yeah. There's a street in Pitigorsk, our city where we live, called uh, Ulitsa Street, Hetagorova Street. And uh, I was like, that's definitely a Caucasus name. Right. Who is that person? So I researched it. Uh, his name is Kostya Hetagorova. And he was Ossetian. So from the, uh, there's North Ossetia and the North Caucasus, one of the republics, and then South Ossetia, which is kind of its own republic. Um, but he was the founder of the literary Ossetian language. What does that mean? He found the literary, like he made it a written language. He, crea- he, he made it a written language. Yeah. When did he live? So he lived in the second half of the 19th century, 1859 to 1906. and he really was the founder of literature in the Ossetian language. So he was a poet. He was a writer. So until the end of the 1800s, Ossetians had no written language. It was just a spoken language. That's amazing. Yeah. Think about how incredible is that, that he put the alphabet into writing and then started actually using it and producing literature for the masses. Do you know language. what prompted him to do that? Uh Wow, great question. I mean, clearly this was his area of gifting and passion. Because it was around that time, the mid-1800s, when a lot of the social sciences started taking form, anthropology, even musicology, and probably linguistics, though that's sort of a different beast. But I imagine that those were really coming into, as as scientific 
um, kind of the fruits of enlightenment and humanistic thinking and yeah. work in Europe, you know, these things were really coming to their own. And yeah. so it wouldn't surprise me if, mm. I don't know how, you know, that he crossed paths with those. Right. It'd be interesting to find out. But Yeah. I mean, I know he, he spent a lot of time working at like different newspapers and kind of like publishing houses. Uh-huh. He published the first uh, book of children's poems in a Setian language, uh-huh. in the Setian language, as well as he wrote like an extensive history of the Assetian people. Um, but he ended up, it, it's really interesting. He actually was exiled to Ukraine for his writings because they were so controversial. Oh, no kidding. Uh, kind of for some of the content. And when he came back in 1900, he ended up living about one more year, or no, I'm sorry. He lived six more years. He actually did spend time in Pitygorsk where we live and Stavropol, um, which is the capital of our kind of republic here, or state, the cry. Um, and he died of tuberculosis in 1906, okay. but he ended up his, his kind of legacy, I guess you could say, ended up living long beyond him. And like, so just here are some different places and things named after him in Russia. Um, in almost every Republic in the North Caucasus, he has either a street. Here's things named after him, a street, a university theater museum. And these are in different Republics in the Caucasus, but it, his people know about him all over Russia in St. Petersburg. He has some things named after him in the country of Bulgaria. There's something named That's after really him. Interesting. And then, uh, there were two different commemorative stamps that during the Soviet union, they made in his honor. And then in 1989, the bank of Russia actually released a two ruble coin in his honor, commemorative coin. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's really well known. And I mean, this is like a hero of the Setian people. It's interesting. You know, that probably points also to the the value of, of literacy in Russian culture in general. They right. have one of the highest literacy rates in the world. Wow. Higher than the U.S. Huh. Russian, Russia as a country. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting that they would, you know, single out that guy. And, but, you know, when you think about it, then the 19th century, they say, was the golden age of Russian literature. Right. Tolstoy, right. Dostoevsky. And that's actually when you see some of these Caucasus authors really emerging. move into their own emerging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's actually a couple others in some of the other local languages as well that came out of that time. But man, that's, it was really cool for me to, to think about like, can you imagine being the person who put your language into writing on paper, you know, what a gift. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, so I've never actually talked to an Assetian person about him. Okay. So I'm actually excited to like be able to learn more about who he was and what yeah, he means get to it the on your phone people. And we'll air it. So we'll put this in the show notes, students, but or students. <laughs> <laughs> I am your oh, teacher and you are my students. Yeah, something subconscious come out there. A turn. There's some was. history to that. I used to have to say students to for my job. Uh but uh Kostya Heta Gurova. So we'll put that's probably hard to spell for many of us, but uh, we'll put Definitely. that in the show notes. So, anyways, so what is in a street name? More than one yeah. might think. This is cool. I've got a I've got a lot more where that. So came this from. will be a segment from time to time yeah, in, yeah. in regular episodes. We will we will we will find out what's in a street name. Yeah. So, and let me finish with this. Mm. The three main categories I found that street names and really things are named after in Russia are. Somebody like Kostya Hetegorova, who had like big literary influence, so author, poet, et cetera. Um, like the street we live on is Pushkinskaya. There you go. And named after Pushkin, Alexander Pushkin, Russian says the greatest, their greatest author. 
Uh, so some great author, a World War II hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was such a big deal in Russian history that in the Soviet Union they defended their homeland and the, were a part of the Germans being defeated. So we'll get into some of the World War II heroes. There's some incredible stories there of Caucasus people right. who, who fought. And then somebody who was a part of the Bolshevik Revolution, the Russian Revolution in 1917, which was a huge shift in Russian history. Uh, there's a lot of figures as well from the Caucasus who came out of that time. That's really period. cool. I'm originally from Washington, D.C., uh-huh. and uh, we got streets named after some people, but they're mostly named after states, the big streets. Ah, interesting. Every, every state has an avenue yeah. in Washington, D.C., but there's not a lot of people. Martin Luther King Jr. Right. You know, there's definitely some. Yes. But uh, Lincoln probably. But this is a it's a different kind of different thing here. Yeah. Different degree of. Yeah, it really helps that. preserve history, kind yeah. of all over the country and it's the world. In your mouth every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, Andrew. Well, um, for those of you who do read the show notes, you may have seen that we were considering a launch into three episodes a month. We're kind of put that on hold so you can weep over your chamomile tea um <laughs> as you need uh but we're just going to keep plugging along here we're, we're still percolating on that percolating we both just go. had babies my that's, third and eli's fourth that's right so, and there's a lot <laughs> going reality. on we're not sure we can we we might still do it we're not sure if little, we can hit that mark whiplash there so. <laughs> but that's i know all you're I got, extremely man. disappointed i know listeners. i want to do more too but baby steps Yes. Baby steps around the office. Hey, so again, I do want to say to listeners, um, we love hearing from you. If you have questions, if there's a thing you're interested in, we have uh, some really interesting ideas we're going to pursue to get more local people on the show and some some new either miniseries or topics to really dive in with you guys. Yes. Um, So please keep giving us your feedback um, and letting us know what you think. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thank you, listeners. That's right. So like always, uh, listeners, thank you for listening. We're loving this, doing this personally, but we're really more and more hearing from you, engaging from you, getting your feedback and your ideas. So keep sending them our way. You can email us at podcast at caucustalk.com. Oh, and I do want to give Eli a shout out. We are kind of podcast amateurs and figuring out with iTunes and Android how all this works. but. I had noticed on my phone, only the most recent 10 episodes were downloading on my phone. Horrible. And so like, if I ever wanted to show somebody something, I couldn't do it. And Eli figured out how to make every of our episodes, every one of our episodes, all stinking 18 of them, all whopping 18 whopping ones. They're all available now. You know, because we have a non-episode back there. Which, 19? by the way, listen to the non-episode. That was a bad name on our tr- on our part. Bad choice because it lot it got the fewest listens of any episode. <laughs> it actually is a great episode. Yeah. Um. And we have fifteen A and B. We actually have twenty. Nice. Yeah. Secretly. So, anyways, every episode should be available now in your feed. However, you listen to our podcast. Good job, Eli. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to leave us those five star reviews. All right. This was episode twenty nineteen. 18, you just listen to episode 18 of Caucasus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus mountains of Russia. Thanks for listening. We'll see you when you get here.